0: Welcome to the Fabricator's Coach Podcast, where we believe that every fabricator deserves to have a business that not only makes the money, but also gives them time to enjoy it. In each episode, our goal is to share real information that you can take action on and use today. Information that, if you will use it, can help you reduce the chaos in your business, help you make more money, and help you get your life back. My background, for those of you that don't know me, um, I've got over 40 years experience in manufacturing, business, coaching, literally have worked with hundreds of companies in a lot of different industries, mostly in the U.S., a little international. I owned my own brick and mortar business back in the 80s, so I understand a lot about uh, those of you who are owners, how that can feel like you're kind of on the island by yourself, so to speak. Coached a number of fab shop owners over the last 20 years, um, and then uh, I ran a countertop shop for a few years, so... I've been where a lot of you are now. I uh, know, know a lot of the challenges that you're dealing with. Um, the article we're gonna talk about this time around came out in uh, first of this month in Slippery Rock Gazette. It's called Planning for Success. Um, if you haven't read it yet, you can go to slipperyrockgazette.net, select the current issue tab, and you can find a copy there. You can also go to Uh, Fabricatorscoach.com, select the blog menu in the upper right hand corner and download a copy there as well. Um, This one is uh, the last in a 12 part series for this year. Part of what I was thinking about a little over a year ago was you know, this time of year for the shop that I ran, that my wife and I ran, um, was always uh, the, the biggest challenge of the year. We had the typical holiday rush that a lot of you see, and all the challenges and Things we didn't do well the earlier part of year were just compounded and made much more intense this time of year. So I got to thinking about, okay, what can we do to share information with folks so that their their 2022 holiday season is better for them than the 2021 holiday season was? So that's what we put together was a series of 12 articles. And this is the last one. And of course, the, the core of all of these is to give you ideas for how you can work more on your business instead of just working in it. Um, because uh, obviously, the more you can work on your business, the more it's going to improve. The more it improves, the closer you get to having a business that doesn't just make you money, but also gives you time to enjoy it. And I personally think that's important to be able to do. I think you deserve to enjoy the the fruits of your labors. So that's that's the whole idea behind this series of articles. Um, let me ask you, um, how many of you have already put together your forecast and your plan? for 2023 anybody <laughs> okay that's why you're here right want to figure out how to do that fair enough okay good deal uh, let me uh what i'm going to do i'm going to do my best not to make this one a bit dry because this we're talking through a spreadsheet and obviously um you know that's that can get a little dry at times but i'm going to stop and ask you folks questions and i uh, look to get some feedback from you as as we do this um So can everybody see the the spreadsheet we've got here? Yes, sir. Yeah. Good. So obviously the first step in in doing this is to download a copy of this. You again, go to the website, fabricatorscoach.com, hit free tools and you can download a copy of the spreadsheet. The next thing is what I think is probably the most challenging for most folks. And that's looking at next year, looking at 2023 and figuring out What do you think your sales are going to be for January and February and March and every month in 2023? Anybody got any thoughts on how you might figure that out? How many of you are comfortable doing that?
1: Well, a lot of it seems to come off of what your historical data is.
0: Yep, that's a good place to start. Go ahead. And one thing you can do is just go ahead and enter in your your sales by month for 2022. Because um, I think, seventy part of what you're probably alluding to is the fact that we've all got a little bit of seasonality and kind of some patterns there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yep. All right. So where would you go from there? Did anybody think? Anybody got any thoughts? Hey, Ed, I'll share a little bit of what, because um,
3: we we've, we haven't finalized this yet, but we got our forecast in for next year, what we think is going to happen. and. So what we did is we broke down our customer base and looked at how much was builder work, how much was contractor work, how much is what we called retail work, kind of walk-ins. And then we applied percentages of growth or decline based on um, our interpretation of what the economy is gonna do next year on each one of those buckets. And then um, we looked at what, what bucket for each of our customers and revenue and how that, that distribution fell in the last year. And then we kind of applied those that logic to um, what we expect this year based on that. And, you know, obviously the biggest anticipation we have uh, is all of our builders. We expect um, a nice, nice uh, decline in our builder work just because of what's going on in the environment. So we did that um, and that gave us a kind of a good sense of what we expect and um, kind of how we forecasted that with all of our monthly sales
0: from there. So at this point, I'm going to sit back and let Dan teach the rest of the webinar. <laughs> that, that's exactly right, Dan. Uh, that's, that's the thought process you got to go through, is, is look at your different industry segments, figure out what you think is going to happen. And let me ask you this, Dan, since you've already done the work, how did you figure out for each of your business segments, each of your market segments, how did you come up with some idea of whether they were going to go up or, or go down or, or how they were going to change for next year? Where'd you get that information from?
3: Yeah. And by no means uh, do I intend to teach this. So uh, I am a, a, a learner here, but um, we spend a lot of, in and, and my background's not in this. So I, I know other things more than I know. Granted, um, just so everybody knows I had a career before this in a uh, different company, different industry. So, I guess the best way to answer that would be I don't I don't know uh, the normal ups and downs of this. I mean I do, but I don't know to the extent that all of you on the line do by any stretch of the imagination. So I I spent a lot of time uh, I started a year ago and I in it seems like a year ago we've been start we started talking about recessions and all that kind of stuff so it's been fun. Um, so I spent a lot of time analyzing uh, and talking about and, and getting a sense from our builders, "Hey, what do you expect? What are you forecasting next year?" Um, uh, we've are what what's our sales initiative? What are we focusing on? What do we think is gonna grow? What are what are they saying? The internet, you know, people that you read about, about the economy, what are they saying online? Well, most people are saying remodeling's is prob- probably gonna uh, do pretty good next year, relatively speaking, um, because people aren't moving, but they're gonna remodel. So so we 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 kind of took that into account. And then we said, All right, you know, looking at just reading information about mortgage rates, it's like, okay. Um, that's going to take a pretty good hit or we think it is uh, take a pretty good hit. So um, we were more aggressive in the percentage decline there. So there's no, I don't know that I have a good answer. I don't know. We just, I just try to read a lot about um, what's going on. Uh, One of the first things I do in the morning when I come in is read any information I can to get a sense of what, what you can expect on each one of these segments going into next year, read a lot of magazines, industry magazines, all that kind of stuff. So
0: So I think it's a great answer and there's a lot to unpack in there and and we won't get into every bit of it, but I think the the, one of the biggest takeaways is there's lots of different sources of information. Um, How many of you are and what you get, you know, online and what you get in trade press and what you get from the national news, sometimes that stuff jives with each other. and Sometimes it conflicts and I can tell you working with folks around the country, the, the changes that we're seeing already are based on some of its geographical region, different parts of the country, different parts of certain states. Um, you know, some states having more of an impact than others, and then also certain market segments. Uh, one of the things that uh, on, on some of the economic forecasting I follow, the, the multifamily construction, commercial construction tends to follow the trends because, and a part of that's the lead time for. Getting those projects off the ground, getting them planned, getting them approved, getting them financed—all that—it takes longer than building a house or doing a remodel. And so, when you start having these big economic impacts, people who are in who have a lot of business in those commercially oriented segments tend to see the effects of a downturn or upturn later than folks who are doing remodeling or or new home construction. So, those are things to kind of keep in mind, but. Uh, let me ask you: How many of you are members of your local home builders association or some sort of contracting group like that? Okay, well, we Several are. Of you. okay. Um, now you're, uh, you know, a lot of times when I ask this question, people say, "Well, yeah, we are," but you know, we don't attend a lot, and and none of our customers are members. And so, two thoughts: One is is that showing up on a regular basis, you know, that helps build credibility. Hey, we're still here, guys. The other is That while your customers may not be in that room in that meeting, people who are a lot like your customers are. And so asking them questions, hey, you know, I'm hearing lots of stuff in the news. What's what's your best guess as to what's going to happen the next three months, six months, next year? Whether you're talking to a custom home builder, a production builder, a remodeler, whomever, you know, start talking to these folks and picking their brains to find out what, what they're thinking because they'll be making the decisions for their businesses that will trickle down and have some impact on your business. Okay. Um, uh, How many of you are dialed in or, or or track what your state department of commerce or your regional economic development people put out? Anybody? Not exactly. No. Okay. Um, That's really worth doing. And let me give you an example. Um, I'm in South Carolina. And, you know, we see in the news, you know, all sorts of announcements from the State Department of Commerce and our regional economic development about new industry moving in the area. And I keep thinking, well, where are these people going to come from to work in these plants? Everybody's struggling to hire people. How did they, what, what lies did they tell these folks to get them to, to put billions of dollars in the investment in, in South Carolina again? And and I figured out how to get in touch with some economic development folks and finding out that. When you start tracking and reading this, South Carolina specifically has between three and 400 people every day moving into the state. So if I own a fab shop in I'm in the upstate of South Carolina, not too far from Greenville, South Carolina, halfway between Charlotte, North Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia, you know, we got the headquarters, that, the North American headquarters for Bosch and BMW and Michelin and other companies within an hour's drive of my house and more companies moving in all the time. If I've got a fab shop in this area, I'm feeling pretty good. Even though interest rates are going up, I'm feeling pretty good about new construction and new development. In fact, two, three miles from our house, they're clearing land to put in a 2000 house development. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm living in a small town right now. It's fixing to get crowded. Um, So when you get that type of data and go ask those questions, you you start kind of piecing the puzzle together, so to speak, to, to come up with your best guess for what you think is going to happen. Okay. And just like the weatherman on your six o'clock news, who's trying to tell you what the weather's going to be like in a few days, we're trying to predict the future, right? So is your forecast going to be super accurate? No, it's not you're going to miss it to some degree. So the the point is to sit down and go through the exercise and think through what are the things that are going to affect your custom home builders? What custom home builders do you already work with that you can talk to and get their take on what they see is coming. And the same thing for multifamily and and all the other market segments that you've got and put that together with some of those other sources of data that Dan was talking about, like some of the trade press, um, (laughs) you know, your Wall Street Journal, national type um, um, information sources and start pulling this together to get a good feel for what's what do you think is going to happen in your area? Because I can tell you, you know, working with Central Texas versus, um, you know, Central Illinois versus, you know, Gulf Coast, I'm seeing different patterns Based on geography, and I'm seeing different patterns based on primary market segments. Uh, I got a client in central Illinois who's doing lots of multifamily who's killing it? Okay? Got some other clients in other parts of the, the the country that are doing a lot of you know custom home building type work, and their particular areas are are struggling a little bit. starting to see some softening. So it really varies a lot. and And you've got to understand your area to get a good handle on this. But having gone through all of that, because I don't want to spend the whole session talking about that, I think this is probably the biggest challenge is is making this forecast. Once you've got the forecast, just like a business plan that you put together, you don't want to put it on a shelf and leave it there. Put your forecast together, go through the rest of the steps that we're going to talk about over the next few minutes. And then each month, pull this thing back up, look at it and say, okay, based on what I've experienced the last 30 days, do I need to revise my forecast? Those of you who are in companies where you've got salespeople, you've got maybe different managers in your company. I know John's got several different management levels because he's got about a he's got a pretty good sized company, uh, and, and Dan probably as well. The rest of you don't know quite as well. But as you talk with managers and your salespeople, get them involved in this forecast. Get their get their input on this because they will they'll be talking to people as well. If you've got outside salespeople. And they're going out and talking with existing customers, especially B two B customers, um, you know, contractors and, and the like, or they're going out prospecting for new ones. They need to be asking these questions as well. So there's there's a lot of lot of words there, but there's hopefully some good nuggets that you can pull out of and 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 help make a, a, a decent forecast for next year. Okay, and like Stephanie said, start off with your numbers from this year put those in and then modify them based on what you think is going to happen, okay? So as we look at the spreadsheet, there's a couple of different ways to put that data in here. One way is just take this this line right here and just go key the numbers in. You know, just look at your, put in your existing months and then start making your adjustments based on, you know, what you think the year, how you think the year is going to play out. That's the easiest way to do it. I have one client that we did this with And what he really wanted to do based on his plans for the year, he said, okay, my average job price is about $7,000. And based on the the changes he was planning on, he was going to put together, he had a marketing strategy he was rolling out, very specific and detailed. He had uh, specific salespeople he had already identified he was going to hire. He had a a large competitor that was starting to implode because of some, some issues inside that company. So he knew he'd have some options to hire those folks. But based on that, he said, "Okay, I think as I roll these things out, I'm going to pick up on average an additional job per month here, three more on top of that this month, three more. And then he just accumulated all that. And then here's the additional sales that pop up from those. That's a little bit confusing. So if you're not sure how it works, give me a call. I'll walk you through it. But that was I've had a couple of folks who wanted to go about it that way. It was easier for them. The point is, whatever is easy for you to think through in terms of what that growth looks like, you know, work, put, put that data in there and then, and then run through it, okay? So the way the spreadsheet works is whether you're using this method or you're just keying it in, then it'll go in and automatically calculate, here's at this sales level per month, here's what your annual sales looks like. And I think that's helpful as you start looking at the implications of as we grow, assuming you've got some growth planned for 23, then, you know, you start thinking, okay, when I get to a certain size, I'm going to need certain additional things in the business. And we'll talk about what that looks like in just a second. But first, the, after you've downloaded the spreadsheet, the really the major, major step is to get the sales forecast put in. And I think as we've talked about, that's probably the biggest challenge. Um, any questions on that before we move on? Okay. No, I'm like... <laughs> Okay. All right, John. Um, and and I'll say too, anybody who who looks through this and you're not really sure about this and you download it and you're struggling with it, shoot me an email, give me a call. I'm happy to walk you through it. It's 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 not a problem. Um, next thing you want to do is to take some of your sales orders and uh, how many of you are already calculating throughput on each one of your jobs? I know John, you're you're doing oh, you're that. Doing? Shelby, yeah. Stephanie, I know that. Okay, Francisco is. All right. Um, If you're not doing that, then what you want to do is take about three or four jobs from each of your market segments. Market segments will be retail, multifamily, big box, custom home builder, et cetera, and calculate the throughput dollars on each one of those. And throughput's basically your sales price, and you're going to subtract your slab cost, your sink and faucet cost. Um, If you've got a substantial sales commission, subtract that. And if you're doing 1099 is typically for installers, you'd subtract that. And those are usually kind of the big factors, but sales price minus those will give you your throughput. And the throughput is the cash that that job generates to help pay your bills, all right? And so you want to take three or four jobs for each market segment and do that calculation if you're not already doing those and come up with this number right here, which is kind of for all your market segments together, what your average throughput is on those market segments. Now, if you want to get really detailed, you can add some more lines to the spreadsheet and do this for each market segment and do a weighted average based on percent of total. You can get it fancy if you want to. I'm trying to keep it simple here, okay? I don't want Shelby to fall asleep on me. looks like he's... <laughs> <laughs> um, but put that number in there. What it'll do is we'll take this monthly sales number and say, okay, if I'm doing 150,000 in sales, if 70% of that's throughput, then I'm going to generate 105,000 in throughput. And why that's important is that's the cash that's going to be generated that month. But then, if you've if you're already tracking throughput, chances are you're also tracking your operating expense, so you know that your what your operating expense averages per month. And in this case, it's 90,000. And so with 105,000 in throughput minus 90,000 in operating expense, that's a profit of 15,000 for that month. Where this gets to be important is as you look at your plans for the year and say, okay, as you know, I'm starting a marketing program here. I'm going to be bringing in a new salesperson to help handle the leads that marketing program is generating. My install crews are already pretty well maxed. I'm going to need a new one if this has any success. I probably need to start in February, bringing that new crew on, getting them trained, getting them spun up, you know, getting the, the truck put together and all that. So that when this marketing and sales starts to take off, I've got capacity because that's where my real limitation is right now. And then as I add more and more sales, well, you know, my CAD operator, he's been maxed out. I'm going to need another one pretty soon. Uh, As we grow, we'll need, you know, shop employees. Uh, At some point it gets big enough, I need another install crew. So you sit down and you start to forecast out what you need to add. And when, based on that growth, and that's assuming growth, hopefully you don't have the other problem where it's shrinking, because you can do the same thing here, you can show the reduction in sales, and and look at the bottom line impact from that and say, okay, as this starts winding down, if there's no way to turn it, then I need to start making changes in my operating expense and Instead of being a plus to operating expense, it may be a minus because you're going to lay somebody off. You know, you can, you can do it that way as well. Hopefully you don't have that problem. But you figure out what you're going to do and when, and you figure out what the cost of that's going to be. And if you're looking at labor, for example, most of this is just adding people. It's not just what you pay them. It's also the fringes, the taxes you got to pay, any insurance costs that you've got, benefits, that kind of stuff. And I'm, of course, obviously using just round numbers here. But the idea is, okay, we added this install crew. Now my operating expense goes up $8,000 that month for those two guys. So my 90,000 base operating expense that I ended up 22 with this year with come February is going to be 98. Well, now my 15,000 net's dropped to seven because I got this additional eight I'm spending, right? All right. So you're tracking that. And then I'm starting on a new marketing program. I'll spend 5,000 a month the first couple of months for the startup and it drops to 2,500 a month. I got that down here. And so I'm adding that to the 98. Now I got 103 in operating expense. So I'm tracking this as it goes up. Here's the impact on my net. I haven't forecast any increase in sales yet. And we all know as business people, we've got to sit through and sit in and think through what's coming on coming to us, which is where the sales forecast gets to be handy, whether it's going up, down or staying flat. And as this changes, we know we've got to make changes in our business. So with just a rough cut on throughput, we know what our operating expense really looks like. We can start to forecast out these changes, forecast and predict what those expenses look like. And now we're starting to see the impact on net. And you we know sometimes we got to spend money to make money. Sometimes that means we got some neck negative for a little while before we start seeing a real pies to return because we got to build some capacity ahead of that demand. And so, you know, you sit down and forecast. Well, I started my marketing plan here, and the first few months are kind of slow for me typically, first quarter. Things normally pick up in April. It may be that by the time March rolls around, and I'm looking at this March of next year. It may be we're already picking up a little bit more because the market segment that we're in, the geog- geographical area that we're in, is starting to see an uptick. You know, the weather's gotten warmer earlier, so the spring rush has started earlier. Anything like that can happen, so you might have to you might adjust those numbers. And so this this monthly sales here might be you know 160. So you put that in, and all of a sudden you see the impact on these numbers. Okay. So what this does as a tool is it allows you to, it gives you a structure to sit down and think through what next year is going to look like and causes you to think through, okay, what are the implications of those changes going up, staying flat, hopefully not going down much, but working through those. And then plan, what do we think we're going to have to do and when? And then if you're going back and reviewing this month to month, and obviously if you've got, you know, ops managers, production managers, install managers if you're a big enough company for that, having them involved in this discussion for what are we going to do and when, you know, when I get to this 160,000 a month, 100, 100 and uh, in this case 188, yeah, I'm going to need that, deal. you know, your ops or your or your shop person saying, "Yeah, I I got to have another CAD guy and I need another another polisher because I got to take this really good polisher and turn him into a fabricator or he's going to be a you know cnc machine operator something like that um so it's talking through what that strategy is for next year and this is a tool that gives you a structure to do that and helps you put some data behind it to say okay what's what's the impact what do we think the impact on our bottom line is going to look like
4: i did something similar to this last year and okay. how'd it work out completely wrong <laughs> is is being this consistent is this something that everybody else does is like across the board every month is consistent in what you're bringing in like your monthly gross because my pnl for this year march we did a quarter million january i did 50 in january almost all of our machines broke half our shop is out with COVID someone broke their foot. Like it was a whole bunch of stuff that was out of our control that happened. So like January I have 50 grand, which is negative, a bunch of money. And then March we were through the roof and then July was another one. Our entire shop had COVID another machine went down in July. So like those fluctuations completely screwed my plan up.
0: Yeah. Trying, trying to predict COVID's a little tough. Yeah. Um, and, and it sounds like, uh, and you and I have talked a little bit about this before in your case, sounds like January and, and July were really just unique situations. You can't predict those, okay? Yeah. Um, but let me ask you, the other months that you forecast out, were you kind of in the ballpark on those forecasts, roughly?
4: In terms of spending money, yeah. In terms of how much money coming in, not so much.
0: Okay. Do you know, do you know why things were off from your forecast to your actual
4: when I only count the money when we get paid for it, not when we finish it. I don't yep. know if that has something to do with it, because sometimes the weeks transfer over. Yep. I believe March, April, there was a week of payroll that transitioned over. So that looks retarded. So I'm wondering if uh the same thing of getting money in is another reason why.
0: Yep, that can that can certainly be impact. I think uh March of this year for a lot of folks was an extra payroll week in there, whether you're every other week or every week. I think the way March worked out, calendar-wise. So that can have an impact for sure. Um, And the other thing I would ask you, Shelby, is you put this together for this year. Did you review it on a regular basis, monthly, every other month, just kind of say, okay, based on what's happening, I need to adjust it or not?
4: I did. And a lot of it had to do with employees. Okay, I had a plan of when I was going to bring in another helper, another programmer, when I was going to bring another sawyer in. And that also, my plan changed from trying to grow the people to replacing the people. I had an installer that went sour and a sawyer that went to go take over a family farm on a two-day notice. So that whole projection I had for employees changed completely. Yeah.
0: And the smaller you are, if you're, a, you know, I, and I'm not saying that Shelby's got a small shop, but I know working with folks who've got, you know, four or five people in the shop versus 15 in the shop, mm-hmm. you lose a key personal like that. It has a big impact on the business. No question. Uh, and that's where we get into discussions about cross training and planning ahead, and and doing some succession planning so that um, you, you're you're building up that capability. So when you do lose one person, it doesn't have quite as big an impact. And certainly, those things are tough to predict. Okay, but if you have, let me ask you this: Would would this year have been any easier to manage without this forecast, or did this forecast help you at all in in managing some of that?
4: It gave a direction. It definitely gave a direction.
0: Okay. All right. So it never... have
4: added a lot more stress when it didn't happen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the challenge there is figuring, okay, why didn't it happen? Of course, obviously, you know, COVID and, you know, injuries and, you know, people leaving on two days notice, you, you can't predict those, but keeping track of what's going on, what's changing, revising your forecast. Uh, you know, those of you who carry inventory, uh, you know, this could impact the amount of inventory you may want to carry, you trying to decide whether to order of that truckload or that container load. And you're looking at, okay, I think thought things were going to be stronger. They're not quite as strong. You might put that off a little bit. You know, it has an impact on those types of decisions as well.
4: It definitely gave me a better idea of who to bring in and when.
0: Okay, good.
4: Because whenever you're busy and everyone, no one else is, why is that? And if you're working 80 hour weeks, but your numbers are low, what exactly is happening? So there's an emotional decision without having the number. So that it did give you a better give me a better projection of what I need to do Okay, good. You know, rather than good. what I'm feeling.
0: John, you were looking earlier like maybe you had some questions. Well,
5: I do. We, we have a mix of business. We have regular retail jobs, you know, remodels, and we've got a lot of those going on because for over a year, they broke all sales records here. I think everybody from up in the snow area was going to migrate down here. So they get a house, they stay in it for a few months and then they start to remodel. And that's, it's good business and it's kind of steady. It is hard business in our opinion. I I would prefer new houses. Well, we deal with one production builder in our history really. For the last four years, we've, we've tried to keep them at a 20 to 30% of our business. And the majority of our business, the best, OE, or I mean, the best uh, throughput is the higher upper jobs. Mm-hmm. The ones who are up in Kia or Palmetto Bluff or Sea Pines, you know, where they don't seem to have budgets. They, they get, they're different. And those jobs might go on for a year because you might have to do one room uh, at a month. Uh, and we don't set tile or we don't do slab walls. We just do countertops, some fireplaces. I would like to know how to make money out of the production part. We have a lot of builders down here and they're building. We got a new Sun City going up, another 6,000 homes. Lenar just announced uh, 3,000 in another section out here. Every production builder around, and we don't work with those. So I've thought about trying to start a night shift. And I don't know if other people are interested, but it seems to me like if we could make money, Doing our retail and our custom builder jobs, if we could then use our equipment, and our facilities to produce the production parts, maybe in maybe on like a night shift, but have no idea how to do it.
0: Yeah, this uh, unfortunately this spreadsheet won't answer that question for you.
5: <laughs> I know, but I was hoping at the top that it showed the different, like you you talked about builder and retail, and mm-hmm. that's kind of what I was trying to find some. Uh, information about yeah. well what
0: you what you I, I, can do is you could go in and, and do this monthly sales for production builder for custom home builder for remodel for retail yeah. you know whatever you want to do and and do a sales forecast for each one and then do your throughput calculation for each one your OE is your OE for the company but you could you could do you could detail this out and that that would maybe make it a little easier for you to think about okay which one of those segments is going to grow versus not? Uh, I try to keep this simple just because everybody's business is a little bit different, but you can certainly add that data here.
2: Yeah. And I'm in the, I'm in the same boat, John, we do. I have a production bill. I do some work for Dr. Horton. Uh, and, you know, some of those jobs are $3,000 for the house, <laughs> you know, and I've got a whole lot of custom production work where I'm in wine country over here. So we do some multimillion dollar homes where, you know, I'm doing one tomorrow. It's a $60,000 install. So, I've got to break. I have to just take this and have three or four different segments for what we do. I do some apartment work too. So I kind of have to have my production, my sort of medium builder market, and then my high end builder market and really kind of break it out because the throughput dollars are so different or the throughput on it's just so different on everything. So, but yeah, you can, I would, I would make one of those budgets for each of those segments and then figure out how much how much, what your percentage of each segment is, and then you just take your uh, OE and break it over by the percentage of, that it is. And that way now you I'd,
0: I'd advise that. you not to do that, Mitch, on the OE part because the OE for the business is the OE for the business. the business, yeah. Yeah, and so what you want to do is all those different segments generate cash at different rates to, to pay for that OE and generate profit. If you start allocating yeah. OE, okay. you yeah, start yeah. down to the rabbit hole of of trying to manage those costs by segment. And that can drive you into some really strange behaviors I won't get into on this call. I can talk about them when I want anybody that wants to, but it'll, um, it'll, it'll drive you to make some, some poor decisions business-wise. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's just a caveat. Um, who else so Donna, has got a, a mix of production builders and, and custom home builders? We do too. We how do you guys, work. how you manage that? Oh,
1: goodness. Um,
5: not as good as we'd like. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, we have about thirty-two home stores that we deal with. Um, we also do custom custom jobs here in town. We have a few builders here in town. Um, our parent company is a nationwide tile company, so we we pick up uh, large commercial jobs. Uh, we just finished a casino uh, that's in South Louisiana that we've been working on for about six months. We we actually. Uh, I know John had spoke a little bit about it. We, we tried the night shift. I think you have to have the right people in the right position to make that work. Um, we tried to take a guy that was a rock star on day shift and try to move him up to be a manager on night shift. And we realized he's a better rock star on day shift than he is a manager. Um, yeah. So we're actually pulling um, next week. We're pulling our night shift back in. Now our night shift was a skeleton crew. It was a very small group of people. So it's it's not so dramatic to just pull those three guys back in and push them back into our production and day shift, but yeah, it's it's been it's been rough to manage, you know, because a lot of the like large commercial jobs we do, we may not install those, we we may just be fabricating those, and uh, I'm sending out you know eight hundred a thousand square feet in a week to a job that I still have to keep my installers busy uh, through the week, so that I guess a little difficult to me.
4: Yeah, the decision we made on starting a night shift, it was more so on how do you make sure the night shift runs without having to be there on the night shift yourself. And when you started actually putting, like, thinking about it is, okay, so to make a night shift work, who do you have to have? You have to have a sawyer, a machine operator, whatever your crew is. But then you also have to have someone who can answer the questions and make sure they go because nobody's really good at creating a to-do list for themselves. If there's no one there saying, hey, we kind of need to go in this direction, nobody's going to do anything.
1: Our our biggest hang-up that we had, uh, and we still continue to have, kind of the reason we're pulling back, uh, on the night shift, uh, when there is not that person there, like you're saying, that can't answer the questions, my guys will tend to get hung up on a problem, and then they spend half their night working on a problem rather than making a decision or moving on from it. Um, Mm -hmm. They're really just making the right decision is really what it comes down to.
4: And if something happens and they can't get a hold of you because it's 2 in the morning, yes yeah or if someone calls in and doesn't say anything Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and you have no backups or anything like that so we decided to add machines rather than add a shift. did that
5: work out for you
4: it's working out great right now and it's easier to manage because we're all there i already have area managers set up that handle all the machines and it worked in my head i never tried the night shift so i don't know if it worked better or not but the way we went is working better for what we are trying
5: to do, I guess. Well, we were thinking about a small crew at night to do three or four kitchens a day or a night, but haven't figured out how to keep those pieces from the saw to the CNC's to the whatever separate and not get them mixed up with what goes through in the daytime. Color code uh, I your just cards. can't wrap my head around it.
4: Color code your carts?
5: Well, we use these speed labels on every piece. But, you know, I agree, you need somebody there who's in charge that can make sure the right label gets on the right piece Mm -hmm. so it doesn't go get up in some CEO's house up and kill. I uh,
4: took Ed's uh, color, like the red zone, where at noon the day before you walk through and inspect everything because at noon the day before that job should be done for the next day. I kind of took that a step further and I've got a black, blue and a red zone. The black is off the saw, needs to go on a CNC. Blue is, it needs to go on a table and get inspected. And then red is, it's been inspected, it's done to the best of our knowledge, this job is ready to go. <laughs> so if you're trying to separate between a day and a night shift, I, that's something I would go for is color-coded, so. Well, I
5: like that.
4: Yeah,
0: what we, what, we, what we normally do Shelby is do like red, yellow, green. We we had yep. the red discussion. We didn't have the yellow-green discussion. <laughs> so you got different colors, yeah. which is great. It still <laughs> works. Yeah, the The challenges you guys are talking about, there's, there's two sets of challenges. One is night shift when you've got a good day shift. And the other is running production builder type work along with custom home builder work. And I can tell you in this industry and in others that are doing highly custom, low-volume work versus high-volume cookie cutter production work, Anytime you mix those in a factory, you have problems. Yeah. And you're really in most in, in other industries and not so much in this one, but in other industries where you've got a little bit larger critical mass, it's almost better to have two factories within a factory and have that focus because the the, the processes, the procedures, the, the way you're looking at the product that's running through the way you manage that is, is significantly different for high production versus low production, high quality custom work. And so that's a big challenge to mix them together. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it takes a lot of really close tight management. Um, if you're doing day shift, night shift, I've had lots of lots of clients and lots of industries try to set up night shifts, and you know that that you know take the guy who's the the best operator, woman who's the best operator, make them the lead on the night shift, is tough because that that same operator is going to struggle. If you make them a lead on the day shift, you know, or, or a manager on the day shift, because they're a good technician, they're not a good manager. And you also have some potential liability issues and safety issues. If you don't have a, a designated manager, a designated supervisor in that night shift, somebody gets hurt. Somebody comes in and there's, you know, a robbery or, or an ex shows up, ex-boyfriend, ex-spouse, whatever. You got a domestic situation, all those you get, you got to have that kind of stuff, handleable and i can tell you i've i've lived though and i say that because I've, I've lived those those scenarios before i was running a mid-tier defense contractor where fourth quarter of every year because the way federal budgets work we went from a single shift five-day operation to running 24-7 and you know there were there were times i'd be driving uh, i get to work in the next morning and and find out uh, you know, where's where's so-and-so oh we had to fire him last night Why? well we caught him in the guard shack doing something they weren't supposed to be doing on company property at night, you know? And, and so you've got to have good managers taking care of those things. So you don't end up because a lot of you folks are owners and you got personal liability and something strange goes on on night shift. You, you can run into a challenge and I don't want to see you get into that situation. That's why I give you the warning. Um, those discussions, I mean, they're good discussions to have. It's not quite what we're going to get into in, in, in this webinar, but they're really good questions, and they're big challenges. And the the reason you've got these questions is they're not easily solvable, uh, unfortunately. There are no silver bullets with that. The key with all of this, and I think Dan is a, a good, good example of this, is somebody who has come from outside this industry, who has really good production skills, really good management skills. And when we talked early in this session about, you know, what, what have you guys already done to start to forecast your sales for next year? Dan's already done a lot of that because that's part of what good managers know coming from other industries. And so as you folks are looking for, if you're, if you're growing or if you've got a backfill of vacancy and you got key managers, bringing folks from outside the industry who are good, strong managers who have been successful in other industries, Dan's a good example of what that can bring to the table. Uh, he and I've talked a few times over the last year or two, and and some of the things he's doing in his shop are really, really the types of things that need to happen in in manufacturing plants because he's got that background. So Dan, I hope I haven't embarrassed you. I hope I haven't spoken for you. But um, that's, I think, a lot of what you've been doing. And I think you're you're a really good example of what can happen in this industry when you've got those skills. And those skills and that experience really helps address a lot of these issues we're talking about.
3: Yeah, I'm embarrassed, but um, am kidding. Uh, I appreciate those nice comments. I will say that listening to you guys um, talk, the other thing, I think, Shelby, you, you were saying your plane got, got um, blown out of the water, which is totally normal. Um, one thing I learned this year uh, and tried to teach in our team this year, and, and you guys may know this, I, I don't know, but. You know it always seems like there's some unexpected expense that comes up like the you know we got cranes like the crane breaks down and you think it's going to be a thousand bucks and it's three thousand bucks or, or new spindles that are already um, raises yeah or whatever <laughs> or raises were higher you know your employees like last year we did a, a more aggressive rate raise than i would have expected to do right part of the thing So one of the things that um, the company I was with before, whenever we did something like that, we always had to pay for it somehow. It wasn't just in addition to, okay? So for instance, um, you know when the crane happens, it's like, okay, some of those operating expenses, instead of just taking that spike during that month and just um, eating that additional cost, let's say it's five grand, we'd internally look and say, well, how do we pay for that? Well, you can pay for it for things that you don't need that month, you cut in other areas, or delay in other areas to be able to offset the cost of um, unexpected things that occur, okay? And what that does, it allows you to one, really determine if you need it or not. Uh, and then two, it allows you to level off your expenses. And uh, why that's so important is because you can, you can better forecast what you can anticipate, your money that you're gonna make and all that kind of stuff. So we started doing that and our, we even did it on what we call shop supplies, just normal stuff that you have around, installing shop supplies. And the person that manages that for us, I started monitoring it and telling them to do it that way. And we cut our shop supplies down by 20%. It's amazing. It's like, well, maybe they don't need as much as as we were. But I don't know. I don't know what the hell happened, but all I know is we're spending 20% less than we were before because we had to pay for something else. And that doesn't apply to everything. But um, uh, as you guys are talking to your leaders and stuff, one thing that I learned here is, not that you don't want to provide tools that your your people need obviously all the things that they have to have you've got to buy but it's amazing when you manage it and you tell them hey we got to pay how are we going to pay for that um they'll find ways especially those that are managing budgets in different departments and stuff like that or you'll realize if you really need it or not sometimes it just pays it forward to the next month and you, you end up but um but that helped us a lot where we cut we we cut down our expenses a lot just by that little tool of of doing it. So I don't know, hopefully that helps. I'm sure you guys are all doing that now, but just something we came across this year.
0: Well, I think part of that too, is just making those expenses visible, making people aware of them. Um, You know, anytime you can take data like that, performance data, spend data and make it visible, people understand, Hey, when I take this polishing pad, that's not working quite as well. And I go toss it in the trash can and go grab another pack or something how much money am I holding my hand right there? You know, and and not that you want to obsess and spend all your time managing costs. There's a whole lot more profit to be had by driving throughput up, but staying on top of that's really important. I used to, you kind of along the line of what Dan was talking about. I used to work for a guy in, in textiles earlier in my career. He would kind of look at an area and think, okay, I think there's some opportunity here. So he'd walk over and he'd grab one person that was working in that area and he'd take them and put them somewhere else to work and just, make the supervisor do without that person for a while. And if it worked fine, great. If it didn't, okay, we'll figure that out, you know? So yeah, th- those kinds of things are, are all good ways to um, to to keep track of your costs and, and that sort of thing. Let me ask real quick, we're getting close to our an hour and, and I didn't say this before, but what I typically do with these webinars is I keep the thing, keep the session open for about a half hour afterwards. So if anybody wants to talk about anything, we can. Um, but before we get, wrap up at the end of our hour, are there any other questions about this planning worksheet and about this planning process? Well, I hope, hope this has been helpful for you. Hope it's been useful. And again, you can download your own copy as you work through this. If you've got questions, you need some help, kind of thinking through a few things, send me an email, give me a call. I'll be glad to take, take some time and kind of walk through it with you just to, to help you get through. I think it's important to do this. A lot of folks in this industry don't don't do this type of planning. And I think it's important to do, especially with what is probably coming at us the next two years economically. Sitting down and thinking through the implications of those things is really important. And then tracking how well it's going throughout the year. Um, how many of you are going to, to uh TICE at the end of January? Anyone? Francisco. Do, okay. okay.
5: We have some people going. I'm not personally going.
0: Okay. All right. Um, so any of you that'll be there, uh, would love to run into you, have a chat, meet you face to face. Zoom is fine, but face to face is better. Um, it looks like I haven't gotten final schedule yet. I think I'm speaking on the TICE stage and I will be in the ISFA booth uh doing a coaching session. So uh if you're interested in want to meet, be glad to do that. Um, we got some new things coming up next year to keep an eye out for. Um one is with the, with the, the pressure on, on the economy that's going to be coming at us, sales and marketing, of course, get to be much more important. Um, I've got a sales mastermind that I'm working on with a guy who is a master sales trainer. Don't have all the details on that yet, but if you're, on, if you're getting our emails, which if you're here today, you probably are, um, we'll have information coming out on that uh, early next year. Also putting together a marketing workshop We've got a couple of resources, some guys I do some work with um, who are who uh, I've got them in some of my clients already. One of them does nothing but B two C social media for countertop companies, countertop specialists. Okay, what they specialize in. Another one who does B two B marketing for countertop companies only sets up really robust CRM, sets up your email campaigns couple of really good, sharp guys got a lot to offer. And then I'll be talking about some of the metrics that we can use to help drive the strategies. Um, that's probably going to start being, we're finalizing that now. It's probably going to happen sometime mid to late February. So look for some information coming out about that. So if you have any any interest in those, um, reach out to me, let me know. But you'll, you'll be getting emails on that as well. Next article that comes out first of January is called Decisions, Decisions. Come out in Slippery Rock Gazette. And the focus of that article is, um, you know, when you're starting to make decisions on which saw do I buy, which uh, CNC router do I buy, which software package do I buy, a lot of good options in the industry these days. How do you make a good decision? Whether there's a specific tool that can help with that, we'll talk through how to use that tool to help you make those types of decisions. Okay. So folks, appreciate you taking time out of your Thursday. Happy to have you. Um, hope this has been useful for you. Like I said, I'll hang out for another 20, 30 minutes, anybody that wants to chat about anything. Uh, But above all, hope you folks have a great holiday season and and a great end of the year. And look forward to talking with you again next year if I don't see you between now and then, all right? Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fabricators Coach Podcast. If you've got any additional questions about this particular episode or anything else, please check us out at fabricatorscoach.com. Thanks. Have a great day.